Good evening to each of you. I want to talk tonight as our somewhat guiding principle about the importance of conversation and the importance of conversing with one another, talking with one another. I suspect that all of us, at some point or another, have been involved in a memorable conversation. That might be good or bad, but it was memorable, however you want to slice it. I also suspect that we could all make a list or tell you about poor conversations that we've had. Maybe with a boss at work. And we've been chastised or criticized or maybe told that we might should find a different job than the one we currently have. That's probably memorable as well. But we've probably all been involved in one-sided conversations before as well. And one-sided conversations, and we're all guilty of this, one-sided conversations are not as engaging and as meaningful as two-sided conversations. The book of Malachi, in many ways, serves as a conversation between God and his people. I want to say that his people for a second uh, because of what we're going to talk about here in just a moment. But the book of Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And by all accounts, the Bible sort of stops for about 400 years prior to the uh, New Testament. And really not not prior to the New Testament, but prior to Jesus' time here on earth. But the word, the name, however you want to slice this, the word Malachi means messenger, my messenger. And this is a debated issue of whether or not Malachi is a real person. It doesn't really matter. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. But there's some debate, some thought that this might be written by Ezra. There's also some discussion that this might be written by Zechariah. They use a lot of the same construct, a lot of the same writing style. I don't know enough about it to be able to dive all the way in there, but there's a debate that Malachi is not a proper name, but this is uh, is coming from a messenger. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter um, if it's a real person or if it's, uh, I mean, not if it's a real person, but if Malachi is a person or if Malachi is just a style, it ultimately doesn't matter. What does matter here is this conversation that is held between the two sides. And this conversation exists even for us today. So if we do the math here, this is 2,400 some odd years uh, ago when this happened. But this conversation is still appropriate and still fitting for what we're going to talk about. What we exist, what we deal with as Christians, even today. But let's talk, first of all, about the importance in a conversation of communicating back and forth with that person. Let me give you two options. 
If I were to say, maybe not options, but tell me if you've ever had this experience before. Connie, I would like to talk to you for a few minutes after church. Okay? I've been very clear, right? Connie knows that I am seeking her out to talk to her. She may know what it's about. She may not know what it's about. Give it a second. I ain't come out of the office in a while. Okay? Now who was I talking to right there? Raymond or Boo or Kelly? Was it very clear? No, I'd say come, but, but you don't know what. And, and you may come here in a minute. Like, what, what are you doing here? And I was like, something like Kelly, you know? But then we're not very clear in that. Sometimes being clear in our conversation is important. And it starts with a name. It starts with a name. Shelby, Melvin, Rain, Marilyn, Pat. Name call. In the book of Malachi, God is called multiple names. Now, why is calling someone by name important? Know who I'm talking to. All right. Why else is calling someone by name important? It's a recognition of them as a person. It is a recognition of them as a person. What else? Anything else? It's personal. I have done the math, and I figure that now I've been teaching for 18 years. So if I just average it out, I've probably had 1,800 students in class. Over the course of 18 years. It give or take a little bit here. The hardest thing that happens to me is when I see them working at McDonald's. Or I see them at the grocery store. Or I see them, you know, crossing paths, you know, getting the driver's license or whatever it might be. And they say, hey, Mr. Hopkins. And I say, hey, <laughs> you, you doing all right? It's hard, right? And I feel really bad about that because I spent a full year with this child and probably called them by name every day or probably three times a week at least. And right now I can't remember. I guess there was one of me and 1,800 of them and that makes it a little different. But I feel like in a way I've let them down. Now there's some of them I'll remember till the day I die. <laughs> For some of them you get practice every week in the central record. You refresh those names in the police report. But calling someone by name, there's a recognition there. There's a respect there. And failing to do so feels like one side is letting the other side down. Throughout Malachi, throughout this book, we read the different names that are given to God. And almost all of these names would, I would say, invoke... Maybe a different type of response from us. If we look at these names, they all mean something else. There's six of them on the board. We're going to look at all of them here as we go. But the first one is Father, Master, Lord of Hosts, Great King, Messenger of the Covenant, Son of Righteousness. And you can see the verses where all six of those are mentioned. Every single one of those names is the name of God. And you say, well, that's that's really weird. No, it's not. Because you have multiple names. My name's Daniel, 
But my name is Jonathan on my legal documents. My name is Jonathan Daniel when I'm acting up. Mom fusses at me when I was little. Okay? My name was Lowly. Little Trevor Clark called me Dingle. Alright? You all have those kinds. If you're a grandparent, your granny, 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 grandma, papa, there's a million names, right? But each one of those names means something else. If I call and say, Dad, I need to talk to you. Or if I need to say, I need to speak with my father right now, it's a different thing, right? Well, these names of God come in a similar manner. Let's look at each of the six real quick. The verses are there, but in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, God calls himself Father, and he urges honor from his people. Just like how a child, we would show that same kind of respect to our father or to a parent. Second word, master. That's in the same verse, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. He's called a master, demanding reverence and respect that a servant would show his earthly master. Now, we probably don't use that word master when we talk about our boss. But we don't walk into the boss's office and say, hey, dummy. You know, we probably go in there with, well, we may, get, we may do it once. <laughs> we probably won't do it again. But you, you when you say, hey, you're going to talk to the boss. You go, hey, how, how, how are you doing? Everything's going all right? That's, you know, we have that sort of thing. Well, father, master, two different terms. Number three, Lord of hosts. Several times in the book of Malachi, God is called the Lord of hosts, which speaks of his authority and dominion over all. Heavenly beings and everything, right? You know, when we read about when Jesus was born, a host of angels there, right? A, a, a host Right then, our response to God's dominion is to glorify it, right? Make his name great. That name matters, the Lord of hosts. But that's a different name than his master and father. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 14 is referred to as the great king. A great king, <clears throat> think about a king, a king is feared, a king is honored, a king is revered. Should those three terms describe our relationship with God? Number five. This one's new to me. Malachi chapter three and verse one. A messenger of the covenant. Jesus is called the messenger of the covenant in Malachi chapter three and verse one. He is the one that all the scripture up to this point has pointed to. We've walked a really long way. This is the 39th and final book of the Old Testament. We've walked all the way to the edge. And it's almost as if now we're going to take that next step into the New Testament. Jesus is who everything has been pointing to up to this point. He's the fulfillment of God's promises. And he's what should delight us today, just as it hopefully would have delighted those people at the time. Sixthly, the son of righteousness. This is S-U-N. Think about star, uh, heavenly, celestial light, not S-O-N as a son or a boy to a father. But in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2, he's called the son of righteousness who will bring healing as well as justice. And God calls his people to fear 
the righteous God. And the notion of fear bringing about obedience to God. So we have several different names there. But if our purpose here, if our, if our talk tonight is about a conversation, we might use a different one of those headings depending upon what the conversation is. I want you to look at these for a second. I want you to think, have you ever used those terms in anything religious that you've experienced? Heavenly Father. Okay. Uh, we acknowledge Jesus as the King. I don't know what we call him. I mean, your God. But we understand that as servants. Uh-huh. Uh, he is the King. And he is, uh, I don't know if we've used those other words. No. I think about Psalm Master. Master. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. We sing Master. Mm-hmm. I think so. Songs were things that popped into my head. For, for Lord of Hosts, I thought of Lord of Harvest, send forth reapers. Uh, great king, but we use the word king of kings. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. I, I think the, the last two are probably a little less used by us. But would all of these be acceptable? Of course, these would be acceptable, pers- uh, acceptable usage. But depending upon the situation, maybe depending upon the conversation, we approach these a little bit different. So let's talk about this conversation between God and man. What do we hope to gain from any conversation? A clearer understanding. Okay. A clearer, what else do we hope to gain from a conversation? Knowledge. Knowledge. And sometimes comfort. Yes. Anything else? Maybe approval. Approval. I think we could list, you know, we, we could write a hundred things because every situation is different, right? Every situation that we might be dealing with would be different. This is a conversation, this book is four chapters between God and man. In each one of these, in this conversation, in the conversation that happens between God and man, one of the things that occurs is that God will make a straightforward statement. Which man will then counter argue. Now think about that for a second. God will tell you to do something, and then man will say, but. Now, is that relevant to a Christian's life today? Does that happen today? God says one thing, we say, oh, man. Yeah. yeah, you're exactly right. But what way is always the right way? And we're told that over and over again. There are things in our life that we have to do a certain way. There are other things that we can have a little bit of flexibility on. In the church, there are things that we must do the certain way, and there are things that we can have a little bit of flexibility on. Over the last six weeks or so, we started doing communion before the reading prayer. Building's still here. Didn't burn down or nothing, right? Well, there's a little flexibility there, right? Did we do communion? Yeah. Did we do prayer? Yeah, of course. So there's some flexibility in those kinds of things. But now, are there other things? 
that we can't be quite as flexible on, that we can't bend on. Yeah. What if we said, not going to do communion, or not going to have a reading and prayer? What is, what is that? That's disobedience. It's not a matter of Dad said this before. We could come every night. It would come Sunday night at 10 o'clock and do communion if we wanted to. That would be ridiculous. We'd already be at home. We wouldn't, that would be inconvenient for people. But you could do it. We could come in here at 6 o'clock in the morning and do a reading prayer. Come back at 10 for... You, know, you see what I'm saying? But often in this conversation that Malachi... That, that happens here between God and man, there's God saying, do this. And there's people saying... Maybe not. First line, if you turn to Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2, uh, we'll have some things that are up on the board, but it's not necessarily there. Yes, sir. Daniel, I have heard my whole life from people that are smarter than me that you cannot say no, Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's where that second part there, we make, God makes a statement that settles it. Okay? Yeah. There is no, there's really no discussion about it. God said this, and that settles it. Uh, In Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2, if you look there, it starts by saying, I have loved you, says the Lord. And the next part of that verse, second verse, says, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? So we are in verse 2 of the first chapter. We might, if, if we're using the word conversation, we have just now sat down with each other, right? And God says, I have loved you. And the people said, what? In what ways have you loved us? Now, these were people, this was God's, these are not some random strangers. This is God's chosen people here, right? They've seen all that God has done. And their stories, even if they weren't alive, their, their heritage, their history tells of all the things that God's done for them. Uh, all the work that he's done, the guiding, the rescuing, let's use the word protecting, the word watching out, all of that. But they questioned God's love for them. Later on in chapter 1, God says they have despised his name and they've offered defiled food. Their offering was defiled. Malachi chapter 1 verses 6 and 7 says, In what way have we despised your name? And in what way have we defiled you? He's telling them, you have done this. And they're saying, how have I done that? Do we ever do that? We sometimes do that with other people, right? The person says, you have done this. And we say, in what way have I done this? We almost immediately sort of fall into that, was it like a defense mechanism, right? Because we're being told what we've done is wrong, but it's hard for us to admit that. You know, it seems fitting that the 39th book of the Old Testament is in many ways similar to the first book of the Old Testament. God says something, and the people don't really like it. We went about three chapters into the very first lesson, 
And he's already uh, not liking that. And we are in the last chapter of the 39th book, and people are still questioning God. Sometimes we're a little bit oblivious to certain things, right? We get a little focused on ourselves. Let's look at a few lessons here. I think there's three or four, five. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot. <laughs> a few things that we can look at from Malachi. And there'll be some scriptures that'll pop up here on the screen. And we'll look at that here in just a second. But the first one, <clears throat> in our conversation, there has to be a recognition that God is unchanging. Yeah. Now, I have been on both sides of a conversation where I have went and proposed something. I went to the boss and said, let's do it this way. And I've heard the boss say, no. I've also heard the boss say, tell me a little more about that. There's some flexibility there. That boss who runs the middle school or the high school that I work at, or wherever the place might be that you would work at, they don't have to be completely locked into their ways. But God is unchanging. And there are times when Jess and I were growing up that mom and dad were unchanging. When it was, I'm going to ask this, but I already know the answer. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6 there, we see that he says, for I am the Lord and I do not change. And throughout this book, we see God sort of yo-yoing back and forth between love and anger and justice. And it's all of these things that are frustrating to you. I would like nothing more than to be loving of everyone all the time. But I have to deal with people every single day. And that makes it complicated, right? Do you think God would like to be in a loving mood all the time? But God has to deal with people every day, right? Because we don't, the people that we come in contact with don't always do things right. And neither does the people that proclaim to serve God as well. So let's look here. This is Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Melvina, do you care to read that? I know we already read a little bit, but just read the whole part of it. So in this reading right here, as we go a little bit further, he talks about how much he loved Israel. And he starts off by saying it was a love that caused him to enter into a covenant with this chosen people. That's a word we've not used in a while, but this covenant from way back at the start. And he explains how he chose to love one of the sons of Isaac, Jacob, rather than Esau. And we we had that lesson uh, a, a while back, but he calls them his own, sets them apart. He loved these people. Yet Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. So there's a divide. He's telling them from the get-go, you're part of this group who I love from the beginning. So you're going to be critical, but just know I've loved you 
from the beginning. So that's the first thing. God is unch- if He loved them at the start, is He going to love them now? Yeah, He's unchanging, right? So if we're prepared to say that God is unchanging, if He said in the book of Genesis or whenever the covenant was made that I love you, what's He going to think about them in Malachi? He's got to think the same thing, right? So let's establish that from the get-go. Second, let's establish that He is a righteous God. 39th book, I'd say I've asked this question 17 times. What does the word righteous mean? Holy? Right standing. Right standing. God. God. Okay. Deserving of adoration. Deserving of adoration. All of these are all of these work. These are all good. But he's a righteous God and he's saddened by Israel's neglect of God. You ever been saddened by something? Something neglectful that saddened you? Yeah. I know one of the things that saddens mom. It's when you drive by an old school and it's fallen down. The neglect from it. Because mom always says that when you, you think about all the kids that went to school there and all the teachers that taught there and all the uh, custodians that clean those floors every day and those people that cook those lunches and all those people whose career was, and it's just, you know what? We can't save every school. But that neglect saddens us, right? So do you think that God would be saddened by his people's neglect of him? Of course. The people that he loved and chose are neglected. Go back to our school example. If I drive past the old fallen down school in Utah, I can be sad about that. I have no connection to that. But it makes me sad that the old Lancaster school building is not there on Lexington Street anymore. And Mary cried the day that the part of Stanford School over here burned it. Those things that matter, the, the places that matter to us, we hate to see neglect or something happen. Well, God hates to see the neglect from his people. And so he see, we see all these other things in this book. He's sad, he's angry, he's disheartened. All these words that we don't, God wants to be loving. We don't want to be sad and angry and disheartened. But we see that. Let's jump ahead here. This is Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. Mom, do you care to read that one? Hold on. That's, I think that's it. Just through said. And so he says, if I'm the father, where is my honor? If I'm the master, where is my reverence? He's asking for this. And the people are saying what to him? When did we not do that? When did we not do that? Well, it's him. He's the one that's saying it. You know, he is the one that is feeling this or lacking this from the people. So God's unchanging, so he's going to love him from the get. He's righteous, so he's deserving of that honor and adoration that should be put forth. The third one, God loves us with an everlasting love. What's the word everlasting mean? Undying. Undying, okay. Bearing. 
never ending. I hope you don't listen to me and say, Shh, Daniel talking. Everlasting, right? Forever. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be glad UK's got a game tonight at 7, Lucille, or we'd stay all night. I'll have, have to work tomorrow. We'll stay the whole time. He has loved you and me, us, with an everlasting love. And as we go on through this book, and we'll see, this is Malachi chapter 4, but God calls out the righteous things that he's going to do at the end of time. This is the end of the Old Testament, but at the end of time. He says there's going to be healing, which is good, but there's also going to be judgment. You know, I think about somebody like, Ron, and when I, I went to the hospital yesterday, and Jimmy was the first person I saw, and Jimmy said, well, he can breathe now. There was healing for Ron yesterday that was not there the day before, and was never going to be there again. I mean, that's just comforting, right? Well, how many bad things happen in life? Just all of it, huh? And so God's saying here that at the end of time, at the end of days, when it's all said and done, there can be healing. So it's bad and bad. There's reason to be sad. There's reason to be disheartened. And there's reason to be upset. But there's healing that'll come from it. But on the flip side, he also says there's going to be judgment. Because he's righteous. Because if there's no judgment, he's not Back earlier in the fall, the University of Kansas is playing Oklahoma in football. Kansas is always terrible in Oklahoma's right. At the end of the third quarter, Kansas was winning by two touchdowns. Nobody there, because nobody goes to Kansas football. And so the Kansas, University of Kansas tweeted out, sent message out that the stadium doors were open and anybody could come in to the game. Because it was on, you know, it was the last quarter. And so, you show, they showed the picture at, you know, the first quarter of the TV screen. Well, I mean, the fourth quarter, there's a lot of people in. Well, they ended up getting beat. But what they did was they threw open those doors so that everybody could have said, I was there when we beat Oklahoma. I was there. But the people that had paid to get in and the people that came in late, people would have said, nah, I gave them $20. I sat here and endured for years. You just walked in. Well, God says there's going to be healing at the end, but there's also going to be judgment at the end. Doors are just sling wide open. That's why he's frustrated with the people here to begin with, because he's kind of given them a rule, kind of given them some things that they need to do, and they're not going to do it. It's going to be judgment as well. Let's read here Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1. Uh, that we see there. Tony, do you care to read that one? For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who will do, who do will be stuck. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. One of the things that we got to learn from Micah, Micah, Malachi, too many, too many things to start with an M, Malachi. One of the things we got to learn from Malachi is we got to trust and comprehend that God's unchanging. That's hard. 
You got to trust that. Because everybody that we think is unchanging in life changes on us. Live long enough, everybody will disappoint you. You've heard that before, right? Live long enough to disappoint yourself. God, we have to be able to kind of trust that. But comprehend, and comprehension is tough, right? I can hear it, but comprehending it is something totally different. So when we think about God, we're keeping this trust and comprehension, this notion, this idea in this conversation, as it were, that he hates sin, but he loves the sinner, right? So people are going to make mistakes and he still loves you, but he doesn't like the mistakes that we're making. He's merciful toward us, but he gave his only son to die. That's not very merciful toward Jesus, right? That, he, that Jesus was sent to die, but it was done for us. He had to endure that. And he's loved us completely. Everlasting was the word that we used just then. A couple more things. Number four. Pay attention to and obey God's word. All right. So let's go back to our conversation. How many of you, I want you to raise your hand. How many of you have ever been involved in a conversation that you weren't paying a lick of attention? <laughs> Every one of us, right? And then when it was over, when they got through talking, you said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. How many of you have ever been told by the boss, I need you to do this? And then you went straight, I ain't doing that. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Or the old way. It's always, the old way is always better anyway. It's like you're hearing Alright? Pay attention to and obey God's word. Well, we have a lot of experience in not paying attention. And we have a lot of experience in disobeying. Well, how many of you have ever been called out for not paying attention? You weren't even listening to a word that I said. <laughs> Some of you right now. <laughs> we have to fulfill our obligation in this conversation, right? Listening involves hearing. Got that. Obeying. Don't always have that, right? You gotta have both. Or we've not held up our side. You know, sometimes God uses his word to instruct us, to correct us. We don't, we don't really need that, though, do we? We don't, need, we don't need instruction and correction. But sometimes we're instructed and corrected and we're not paying any attention. You didn't, you didn't learn from this. Yeah. My granddaddy had a 17 year old brother worked in Fox Paperville in Montana, Ohio. And when he went to work there, the shoes, rolls, and paper, they said, Do not take your hand and do this. And he was prone to do that. And they told him several times, his brother and others told him, he never paid attention. He got pulled into one of those rollers at 17 years old, industrial accident. Uh, he didn't listen. Uh -huh. And they were telling him for his own good. Yeah. But he felt like that was necessary, and he did it, and he yep. died in 1923, when he was 17 years old. And that's a tragic thing. Absolutely. Very tragic. 
Absolutely. And you know, I, I think it says it there. No, it only takes a moment for us as Christians to forget God's goodness, right? We can forget it just like that. And then if we're not careful, something like that, it's kind of tragedy or something bad happens to somebody sick, whatever it might be. And we start to question God's love and faithfulness. Well, God, why? We've already established in this book in the early chapters that God's unchanging. His love is everlasting. So we have to pay attention. We have to be aware. We have to obey. We have to realize that that's not something that we put on God. Because He loves us, cares for us. But bad things happen. Because there are bad things that happen in the world. Sin exists in the world. Fifth one. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. We've mentioned it many of them. It says, I am the Lord, I change not. I think that's the old King James. But God doesn't change. And so I hope that's what we can take from this tonight. Malachi has the last book of the Old Testament, at least the way it's arranged right here. And it's going to be about 400 years before, let's just use this word, this statement, before we hear from God again. There's a gap that exists right there. But as we have talked about this, as we've had hopefully this conversation, this encouragement, as it were, this discussion with God, as we walk to the edge and we're about to take the next step, Let's take three things with us. Number one, as we said, God doesn't change. Number two, we read in the Bible that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We talked about that last week, I believe. God promised his son. He promised a Messiah, correct? We've spent 39 books walking around, walking through, going over, going under, some discussion of the children of Israel and a Messiah that would make things better for a group of people that things have not always been grateful. God has promised a Messiah. I think it's fitting, if you're a Malachi, turn over a couple pages in the first chapter of Matthew, that Matthew will start with a list of people all from the Old Testament. A list of genealogy of generation after generation of people after people. All these people that we've already referenced and then we get Jesus. It's almost like watching the sequel to a movie. The first movie came out and it's about 10 years till the sequel and so they'll spend a little time in the sequel sort of reminding you who everybody was. That's what we sometimes see. That's what we see right there. We're reminded all of these people, all of these people that are listed in Matthew chapter 1 are people that are referencing the Old Testament. People that we've seen it come down through and Jesus is there. So what we're going to see starting next week, eight different things. And we're going to start with Matthew. We're talking about the birth of Jesus in Matthew. And in Mark, we're going to talk about the works of Jesus. In Luke, we're going to talk about the death of Jesus. And then in uh, John, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. If everything so far has been pointing to Jesus, it's only natural that that's where we would start with the New Testament. Is there any questions or anything, though, 
before we finish. Have you ever wondered about those 400 years? Yes. <coughs> no, I have, no, I have nothing. I, I, wondering is not the same as having a having an answer. Any questions? Well, thank you for your engagement in our conversation. And hopefully, hopefully it's been beneficial too.